Yo, what's up, guys? This is Street Champs. Quick shout out to our sponsors, Rocky Mountain Blaze. RMB. Hell yeah. Mention, Rock, mention Street Champs at Rocky Mountain Blaze. Get 5% off your whole order. We got fucking. Damn, they hooking it up. Hell yeah. We got Puff Puffet Pass in the house tonight. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Derek. How are you, man? Thanks oh, yeah. for having me. For sure, bro. Thanks for coming. Excited to have you. Absolutely, man. Hell yeah. So uh, tell the people about what you do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. My name is Cooper Watts. I own Puff Puffet Pass, like uh, Derek said which is a ice cream and waffle food truck right here in Pueblo, Colorado. Um, just something I saw a friend showed me online on Instagram was like, look at this, man. You could do this so easy in a food truck. And I just kind of got obsessed with it and started like researching it, following all the hashtags, found local ice cream suppliers that I like through, you know, extensive market research. Like <laughs> I love to eat ice cream. So what a great job that is to have. And, uh, Came up with my waffle recipe and got it going about three years ago now today. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Three years today. Uh, Yeah, I want to say it was in November of 2018 when I first took it out. Wow, man. Sorry, 20... Yeah, 2018, right? Wow. 21, yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, man. That's awesome. Maybe it was 19. (laughs) I'm I'm really bad at math right now. We did, uh, you know little pre-game session before we started recording, so I'm definitely feeling that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel that. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you started it in November. That's kind of a, 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 you know, a different time to start a ice cream food truck. Yeah, so I was trying, that year I was really trying to get it going in the, in the summertime, but mm-hmm. I was working as a dispensary manager, which requires a lot of attention, you know, about 40 to 60 hours a week minimum. So um, at that time I couldn't get it done in the summer. I was really bummed out. But there was an event called uh, Sensi Night that was being hosted at the Union Depot. And I was friends with the Sensi organizers at the time. And, and uh, you know, obviously I still am. Hey, what's up, y'all? How you doing at Sensi Magazine? Shout out Sensi. Yeah, for sure, for having me for my first event back in, I guess, 2019. <clears throat> and uh, so we showed up with the, the food truck. I did hot chocolate and waffles, ice cream. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the time, my helper got sick. My first day out, my helper got sick and had to leave. So I was completely solo. It was like a shit show from beginning to end for me. But I figured it out. Like, you know, it it was a shit show at first. And I just kept progressing and kept getting better at the service and then adding employees eventually to kind of smooth along the process. And But, yeah, that was our first event. It was at night, super cold in November, and we were doing ice cream. But... That's kind of where I've been at from the beginning. Everyone's like, ah, oh, this shit ain't going to work. What are you doing? And I just did it anyway. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. And it ends up working. Like, If you believe in yourself and you're passionate about what you do, like, that's what's important. That, that's what shines through eventually. So, mm. so um, where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up right here in Pueblo, Colorado. My family moved here in 86 um, and maybe 85. So I was like five, six years old right on the cusp there. And... I moved away in 2018, or sorry, 1998, and moved back in 2010 to go to college and get my degree in, in economics and then back to Denver. I lived in Fort Collins and Denver mostly, other than here, a year in San Diego, California, too. Mm-hmm. That was pretty fun. Uh, I used to work for Whole Foods Market as a, a, a fishmonger and a, and a butcher, and so I was like, yeah, screw it. There's Whole Foods everywhere. I'm going to go live in California for a year. Just kind of like a fun vacation where I had a job, you know, it was pretty cool, mm-hmm. but expensive. And I was happy to come back to Colorado and see the seasons again. Like you don't get an autumn 
near the coast in California. It's just green, hot, and sunny every day, hot and sunny. <laughs> the same thing. What, what's a fishmonger? A fishmonger is like a person who sells fish. So not a fisherman, but the person that sells fish at the market. Oh. It's just a fancy name for, you know, seafood department at a grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> hell yeah. Um, so how old are you? Uh, I'm 41. For sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm 24. Uh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So we got, got a, almost a generation between us. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people my age growing up in Pueblo, you know, they already have kids that are adults, you know what I mean? And I'm 41, no kids. So it's hard to me to, hard for me to relate with that sometimes, like with my own generation, because I don't have kids. So I'm like, uh, I missed that whole part. <laughs> Just kind of focused on me. Definitely. Do you, I mean, do you want kids? Yeah, for sure. I could, I could see being a dad. Absolutely. But at this point, I'm going to be like the, the dad who's 60 when he takes his kid to college, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's fair, bro. Like that's kind of how my dad was. Right. Yeah. You still be a, probably a better parent when you're older, but who knows? Maybe it's better to just do it and, and get into it when you're young. Guess I'll never know that, but <laughs> you know, I mean, it's never too late, man. Just go adopt a, go adopt one for sure. <laughs> Nah, I don't know about that. that single parent with the adopted kid. <laughs> <laughs> my mom's actually uh, was adopted. My mom is an identical twin, and she was her and her twin were adopted by a family in Kansas. So, like, I I've always thought about that. Like, I wouldn't be here without adoption. So, you know, if I ever do decide to like start a family, I wouldn't. I would probably do that. Why not? Mm-hmm. There's kids out there that need homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, your parents still together? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like rare in this day and age but yeah my parents have been married gosh since i think the late 70s like maybe 78 mm-hmm. so a couple years before they had me heck yeah um from kansas you said they moved so yeah we were we were in garden city kansas but my parents are both from that area my dad was born in oklahoma my mom in central kansas but we were living in western kansas before we moved out here <clears throat> Um, sorry, man. The weed has me caught in throat. Yeah, same man. Yeah, shout the out Rocky. Wax, the wax on the J gets the uh, the throat a little coated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> shout out Rocky Mountain Blaze for the weed. I don't. Even, I don't think I shouted him out yet. But we're about to roll up some of this. Christmas, Christmas. What do you think of this note? I mean, it looks like a Christmas tree. Look at that shit. <laughs> oh no, Christmas cannabis. Okay, word. Christmas cannabis. But still, it's Merry Christmas over here. Look at that Christmas tree. Yeah, they got good taste at Rocky Mountain Blaze. They got mm-hmm. some good bud. Were you uh, smoking in high school growing up? I was, yeah. I was, I was on that brick life, that struggle life. You had the pipe that screwed together. Oh, shit. And you're smoking brick that had, like, gasoline or oil or a trick that was popular back then in the mid-'90s was to put BBs in a sack. So you buy what you thought was 7 grams, and you find two BBs in it, so it was 5 grams because each BB weighs a gram. What? So people would scam your ass with BBs back then, yeah. I never fucking heard that, man. Yeah, oh yeah, we'd find weird shit in our weed back in those days. Oh my gosh, it was awful. And then like I moved, to, I moved to Fort Collins because I had friends up there, and I went to visit and smoke some like killer like, what back then we called kind bud, but you know some good shit like that. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm moving up to Fort Collins. I'm gonna go live up there. They got real weed. We just had that struggle life down here, sticks and stems. Only way to get higher was to roll a fatter blunt or to like, like I said, we had them screw together pipes. So you put weed in the middle. It's called chamber weed. 
and then you resonated your weed. Like, that's how dumb we were. And, like, to make it a little bit stronger, you add some resin to it. Like, oh, it's so disgusting. But that's Shit. what we would do. Or we would roll up all our roaches together. Like, a generation joint, man. This is going to get you so lit. That's what you guys called it? A generation joint. Yeah, but really you're just, like, I have sound right now. Afterwards, you're just, oh, my God, you're just dying. <laughs> Damn. Um is that what kind of influenced the name of your food truck, Puff Puffet Pass? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always, like I said, and since the mid-90s, been a part of the cannabis culture. Like, I always loved it. I was that dude with the black lights and the, the tie-dye shirt in the 90s, like, listening to the stoner music, getting into hip-hop as, like, you know, a gringo. Like, <laughs> I was doing that thing as a stoner in the 90s, and I still am, you know. So it's always influenced me. I worked in the weed industry for several years. And, like, I feel like stoner food is so fun and creative that it needed to be shared with the general public. Like, I want to end the stigma about stoners. Like, it's always been, oh, those dudes are lazy. They're not hard workers. Like, well, bullshit, yo. Like, I run my own business, like, and I work my ass off every day, but I get stoned, too. It's just, like, about how you apply yourself. Like, if you're lazy, you're lazy. There ain't much Mm going to change that except you. And if you're lazy and you smoke weed, then you got those two things added together. It's not like smoking weed makes you lazy. It just may make lazy people even lazier. Possibly. Who knows? But, yeah, I wanted to share stoner food with the world. So what better place to do that in my hometown, Pueblo? And uh, like I always say, like, it's from the mind of a stoner, but it's safe for the whole family. Sorry, man. My cat, my mind. Oh, no worries. I love cats. No, my cat. I, well, it's sometimes a cat. she'll just go crazy, and I just got to spray her with the with the cat gats. Oh, yeah, I yeah. called it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So you were influenced by being a stoner. You've always been a stoner. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm full of weed, but there's none in the food. Is another thing I always <laughs> say. Like, if people ask, like, "Are you sure?" Like, nah, that would be totally unethical and illegal. I just want to share like some of the crazy shit that stoners come up with when they're high and hungry with like people that don't even smoke weed Mm -hmm. because why not like everybody loves food we could all share that together and share that common bond and kind of hopefully get over that whole like stigma around cannabis especially since it's legal like we live in colorado one of the first places to legalize and like although our laws are getting a bit like restrictive for the, the industry like it's really highly regulated i remember when we voted on this and changed our constitution it said regulate like alcohol like, what liquor store do you know that's regulated like a dispensary? It's regulated like weapons-grade plutonium. Like, you have to have <laughs> a so clearance. True. And Oh, hold on. Here's my lanyard. And, yep. Oh, gosh. And uh, here's my <laughs> membership number. Like, you're punching in your phone. No, you got to give them all this shit. It's like, yo, I thought we said this was legal and it was. we should regulate it like alcohol. Like, if it's like alcohol, you should be able to go to a bar and consume it. Mm-hmm. But... That's, like, passed in the state. It's not passed in Pueblo. City council, I think the mayor is, like, open-minded to it, but city council was very against that. Um, That was actually the only time I ever spoke in front of city council was to be like, hey, I own, like, a weed-themed business. Like, I'm not the only business that would benefit from allowing, like, cannabis clubs in Pueblo. Like, that would be my crowd. I could park right there when there's events, and, hey, we got stoners and their munchies, like, Taxpaying businesses benefiting from opening up cannabis tourism, but I don't know, for whatever reason, they didn't want to be known with weed. They don't want public to be known with weed. 
which is weird to me. We're known for way worse shit than that. Like, being known for weed is actually a good thing. Like, hey, we're good at something. You look at this shit. <laughs> look at that nug right there. You can't get that in Kansas. Mm-hmm. But you can in Pueblo, Colorado. Like, why shouldn't we be proud of that? That's true. I guess, <clears throat> I guess it still has that stigma, like you said. This donor is still associated with being the unproductive member of society. Right. And really what, to me, that goes back to is, like, when they draft you for a war you're less likely to be like, okay, I'm going right away if you're a stoner. And they realize that early on. They're like, these people kind of are a little too open-minded. They think shit through too much. Like, they're not just going to rush off to war when we tell them to. Mm -hmm. So they made it illegal and at the same time, like, tied it in as a way to arrest people in, like, already impoverished and areas that were already downtrodden. Like, oh, let's make life worse on them and give them five to ten years mandatory for standing on a corner with a drug. So it was just like a way to, for like Nixon and that whole crew to like, all right, these are the people we need to arrest. Let's just give us an easy out. Like, let's make this super illegal. We can all arrest them for it. All that. <clears throat> Definitely. That's, I mean, that's kind of. Conspiracy that's, Yeah, that's kind of conspiracy going down, Yeah, going down in there, bro. <laughs> but, um, you know, I could see it. I definitely. It's, it's there for sure. It's, it's pretty easy. <laughs> You're a pretty big conspiracy guy? Not really, but that one is like, that, like the other weed conspiracy theory is William Randolph Hearst, who is like the uh, the paper baron of America. So he had like all the newspapers back in the day, all the paper mills and the forests dedicated to paper. And the, the hemp decorticator was invented, which you were able to shred up hemp and make fiber and paper with it. So he saw that as a threat to his empire you have this renewable resource that's literally a weed, like growing season is like half a year and you've got cord. You don't have to grow a tree. Like a tree takes a hundred years to get as big as they need it to harvest it. Mm-hmm. Unless you're, you got real fast growing tree like birch, which they don't use a lot of. Anyway, he like kind of started the whole reefer madness craze. I don't know if you've seen that movie or maybe even the poster, but yeah, just trying to demonize weed and also like, what are my other common enemies? Oh, I'm a rich white man. I don't like people of color. Let's tie it in and make it arrestable for them and blame like all the problems it creates on them, which was when this all the whole illegality of weeds really started. Before that, it was like, yeah, we just need it. We need it for rope and all kinds of different shit. But uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just kind of think those are like those are some conspiracies that are true, in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's easy to sometimes get sucked into ones that aren't because you could see how easily that's possible. Like, just even like how the CIA is formed, like the dirty shit they did right away. You're like, oh, okay, we're capable of some fucked up shit in our in our government. So yeah, it's man. it's believable that's a lot a... of them. And then you get sucked into something that's like, oh god damn it! Like, I'm not a QAnon person. I fucking like those guys are so ridiculous. But look at how many people got sucked into that shit. Because it's like, oh, okay, if I believe, like, this one thing they're telling me because it's relatable, then then I start believing everything down the line that they give me. And it's, like, it's a dangerous place to get into, like, super crazy conspiracies. But there's some that are fucking real, you know? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree. But, yeah, like you said, this it's a rabbit hole that you'll never – you could spend your whole life <laughs> exactly fucking yeah. dedicated to that shit. And it, some people will say you wasted it. Yeah, and I mean, look at how much time I just wasted on that. Like, 
imagine like researching it and really getting <laughs> into it, like how much time got spent on that. Yeah. So, um, you know, aside from conspiracies, um, what else are you into? No. <laughs> um, like, I, I don't know. I like a lot of fun shit. Like I like to go foraging for uh, wild mushrooms. Like since I'm a cook, I like to cook at home. I also run a restaurant essentially on wheels. Um, one of my favorite things is foraging for local ingredients and like creating dishes out of shit that's around here, like cactus and mushrooms and pine nuts and all that sort of fun shit. Mm. So I'll go, uh, I'll go up to the mountains near here and forage mushrooms when the season is right. And this year was like crazy good year for it, which in Colorado mushroom hunting is like a very specific time of year at specific elevations. So it's a lot more challenging than say somewhere that's like wet for half the year. You can find different types of mushrooms for that whole six months. But here it's like, you got to really get there at the right time. Like right in the middle of the spring to the middle of summer is like about the only time you can get it. So maybe like two to three months and it's different varieties at different times and elevations. So that's always fun going, finding morels, porcinis, chanterelles. Like I've never found uh, lobsters or chanterelles yet, but I find a lot of porcinis and morels mostly. Wow. I've, I've never went. It's pretty fun. Like it's a way to get out in the mountains and hike around and like without actually like having to hunt an animal or like plan a camping trip. Like you can just go do a day trip if you know good spots to find them and really? go walk around in the mountains. Even if you don't find anything, it's it's not a wasted day. You know, mm-hmm. Colorado is a beautiful place like that. That's true. So uh, did you go to culinary school? No, I never did. I worked as a chef. Um for Whole Foods Market was where I was officially titled a chef, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Previous to that, I worked in the food industry. I was a pizza guy for many, many years, like seven years. Um, I worked for, like, fast food restaurant noodles and company. So there's a little bit of cooking involved in that job. It's not super complicated, but that was kind of my intro to the food industry. So I got to see, like, corporate, fast-running, high-volume shit right away. And then I worked for Whole Foods Market in Cherry Creek which is one of the five busiest Whole Foods in the whole country. So that was like definitely a challenge jumping right into that. And like being from a smaller town and then working like in a big city, having like the richest people in town shopping at your store. And man, I don't know if you've ever been to Whole Foods, but like (laughs) the shoppers in there, like love to prove you wrong and love to just be like the smartest person in the room. So that was like a fun culture shock for me moving from Pueblo to Fort Collins to Denver. And then like, Right away, I'm like, oh, shit, okay, I have to act, like, a certain way to get by at this job. But uh, it was, like, a really uh, cool learning experience, for sure. And I, back in those days, like, each store made all their own food for the prepared food section. So you had, like, real chefs in every store training their people. So, like, my bosses all went to culinary school, but they trained me to do what they do. And, like, I just kind of, I'm one of those chefs that just kind of, yeah, I'm a chef. Like, that's what I do for a living. I don't think I need a degree for that. Mm-hmm. I got an econ degree, and uh, that kind of taught me a little bit about running a business, but nothing I didn't, like, just build on. You know what I mean? It definitely helped, but I already knew that from working. You know what I mean? Managing businesses for, like, Papa John's or Whole Foods or whatever. You learn the basics you need, and then school kind of teaches you a lot of those fine points. Mm-hmm. But I th- overall, it was a good experience. I just don't like the debt that I have now because of it. That kind of sucks. But You went to CSU Pueblo? CSUP and, and PCC before that. So got the transfer certificate, went to CSUP for the last two years. Mm-hmm. 
which was cool. I never graduated high school before that. I actually dropped out my senior year. So, like, more than anything, getting my degree was, like, me being able to be, like, you know what? Screw it. I, like, I'm no longer a high school dropout. If somebody asks, like, what degree I got or what school I went to, I could be, like, oh, yeah, I got a degree. And that was really, like, the only reason I wanted to go to school, like, just to be able to be, like, all right, I did it. I fucking did it. And it was cool. Like, I learned a lot, and I had a great experience. But I don't know if it was worth all the all the debt, the money. And like I went cheap too, PCC, CSUP, and there's still a considerable amount. You know, it's more than the new Accord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that just kind of sucks. Like I feel like in a country like this, we should have better access to education at less money. You know what I mean? Like my parents oh my are the kind of the boomer generation, right? So when they went to school, it was like super cheap. Like I don't get why we can't do that again. Why can't? We make school affordable. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Put her up here, man. She's going crazy right now. She survived Halloween. <laughs> it's always jacked up how people are mean to black cats. I love black cats. They're the shit. Nah, she's an inside cat. Oh, nice. Hell yeah. But hell yeah, man. I think I think it's a good time to start breaking down some weed and that yeah, she's not tearing up the set let's anymore. Do that. <laughs> are you right. trying to talk? What? Say something. <laughs> so, um, all right, so this Cushmas we got here is Grim Bastard. Nice. Yeah, we'll give you that one. Dope. And what I got here, I got Bruce Banner. Sick. Mm-hmm. This one's grown by Vision Quest. So um, walk me through, like, I guess what, how you started your business, and you said you're... Uh, yeah, for sure, man. So yeah. at the time, I was a dispensary manager um, out at STEM Beach, which is just south of Pueblo, Colorado. Shout out. All my peeps out at STEM Beach, uh, Doctor's Order STEM Beach, as well as Colorado Cannabis Exchange that was out there. And uh, I don't know, I just kind of like, I had this trailer, right? Like I, after I got my degree at CSU Pueblo, I worked for uh, Fidelity Investments, like an investment firm. Got my Series 63, my Series 7, which are like um, licenses to like trade stocks and sell CDs and like, uh, insurance products as well, you know, like, and so I, I did that job, like, and what was cool is you got paid to get trained there, so I got paid to, like, go to school after school, essentially, and I learned a lot about finance, but, like, ultimately, that job was not for me, and, like, super stressed me out to the point where I was, like, not sleeping, uh, my health was getting really bad just from the stress, and I didn't realize it at the time that that's what it was, but, like, I finally was like, yo, I got to quit. Like, I can't even do this. I can't show up to work no more. It's too stressful. It's too much anxiety. And, like, that night I slept like a fucking baby. You know what I mean? I still have issues with sleep, but it's never been as bad as it was. Like, it was like a month. I didn't get more than, like, an hour and a half of sleep from the stress, like, induced by that for me. And for some people, they can get do a job like that. Like, it's nothing, but... Oh, my bad. No, that's cool. I'm just going to fix it a bit. Um, But, yeah, like... For me, that shit fucked me up. It just, like, I was thinking about all the transactions that I did throughout the day. And, of course, like, I didn't smoke weed at that job either, which fucked me up. Like, my whole life, I've smoked weed. Every job, like, I work in food, so I go on break, I smoke weed. I, you know, every two hours, like, a cigarette, you know what I mean? And uh, that was, like, the first job where I got I to gotta be straight-faced. I got to be sober. I got to show up. And, like, those two things combine the stress of the actual job and the fact that, like, I had to change up my whole shit. I, it just wasn't for me, man. And it got me thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. Like, 
you know, I went to college. Like, that was the first piece. Like, I want to not say I'm a high school dropout. And then I went to college, and then I got a job that's supposed to, like, make me happy, like, because it gave me money. But that shit didn't make me happy. You just got more money, but you live in a place that's more expensive. Like, shit, I, like, I have a mortgage that's less than I was paying rent for a tiny little room in Denver sharing a house with people. Like, Pueblo's dope for that. Like, I would have never been able to open my own business. And so I was at a fuck, uh, an estate sale with my folks. Use that I, whole nug, bro. Use that whole nug, too. Damn, all right, we're... Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was like an auction and I seen this trailer. It was just a 10 by 10, 10 by 14 blank trailer, food service trailer. Nobody bid on it, the whole auction. So I was like, well, shit, I'm just going to throw a little ball offer. And of course the owner's like, no, it's worth X amount. That's what I want for it. So I just kind of like sat on that for a few days since I didn't have to worry about the auction no more. And was like, you know what? I'm going to buy that. I'm going to do sloppers up in Denver. That was my original plan. And uh, I started looking into that. I put put together a whole pitch proposal, went to like small business entrepreneurship, like community led classes that were free in Denver and started to like really think about like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to open my own business? How much money do I need? What's the process to get that money? Like, and to do sloppers in Denver, which is, it's a little harder to get a rig that meets Denver's specifications because... It's got to be, like, top of the line, brand new, super nice water heater that's, like, super fast. Pueblo is just, like, a little more open to small businesses. So, like, also there's, I want to say, like, thousands of food trucks licensed in Denver County. So, like, they're like, we're good. We got enough. Pueblo, like, needs businesses. So it was just easier to open, like, a trailer style like I do. So I have everything I need. But my dad, essentially, who's a really brilliant, like, scientist before he retired... Uh, he was a groundwater hydrologist, like a geologist. Oh, wow. He's just a really process-driven kind of engineer brain type dude. And he helped me design the truck, get the water heater I needed. We built, you know, the water system to get to the to the hand-washing sink. Um, and that was one of the beauties of doing the puffet was I was like, yo, I don't need all this equipment that you need to have, like, sloppers. You got to have a fire suppression system, a hood vent, like... I don't know. I wanted to say it was almost getting near a quarter million dollars where I would need to start that food truck in Denver. Oh and gosh. so at that point I was like, all right, I'm not doing that. Like, and the opportunity to get my house came up down here. So I was like, you know what? I'm going back to Pueblo. I'm going to rethink, rethink this. And I was at this super fun, like underground bong racing party that I go to. It's called Bongathon. And it's bong like racing bongathon. Yeah. I actually participated in it this year. Yeah. What is that? So it's a party that's like invite only private property and you do bong racing. So it's like the contest I was in was quickest to smoke seven grams out Holy of, out shit. of a bong. So entrance fee for participants was like, I want to say like a hundred bucks or something like that. And you get to keep the bong and you get to smoke the weed and keep the like little jar. You get the weed in and the rolling tray, like, it was worth the 100 bucks just for that. It's a sick-ass bong, like, this tall. So I was like, I'm doing it. Okay, I'm going to compete. And uh, one of my buddies who's also been to quite a few of them, runs a Yeti Farm, Sean, Sean uh, came by and was like, dude, you're in third right now. And this was maybe, like, five, six minutes in. I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> Just, like, ripping it, like, as fast as you can, just pulling it through. You know what I mean? Because oh, totally. you got to smoke it all. And you also have to break it up. So I was just kind of chunking it up and going and uh 
around like minute seven, my tube got clogged up. Like the down tube had so much burnt bud in it. Yeah. That it wasn't passing air anymore. And this was my first year competing, so I kind of choked at that point, like literally and figuratively. Like <laughs> I started coughing like an MF or like because it was just stale smoke I kept trying to clear. And uh, the guy who won got – he finished in nine and a half minutes. He's super impressive. He's like a weed athlete, you know, like dude doesn't really smoke cigs like I do. Like he's a pretty healthy dude, so his lungs are working really good. And he's won like three years in a row. What's the prize? Um, it's usually just like donated items from the sponsors. So lots of weed swag. Like you get a sick trophy bong that's like, you know, worth 20 times the competition bong probably or 10 times. So like a really nice custom bong that was made for the event is the trophy. Damn. So that's like the best thing. And then you get like whatever, like merch items and stuff are donated. There's like, it's a pretty good prize pack. You know what I mean? It's all just weed swag stuff. Like, um, that's fire. Yeah, bongathon. it's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, we need to have a Pueblo bongathon. Yeah, exactly, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, we need to stop regulating this stuff like weapons-grade plutonium and start, like, really embrace the stoner culture. Like, why do we make it so corporatized and so, like, mm, now this is just another business where we got to wear suits and be chads. Like, nah, dude. This was, like, they call them legacy growers now, but this whole business was started by people who were willing to risk going to prison for 10 years just to provide a life for themselves. For one, of course, you're not going to look past that. They're not like Robin Hood. They were trying to make (laughs) money, but they were also providing like a needed medicine that we all agree is like has medicinal properties. We have medical cards in Colorado. So like these people were providing a medicine to people who needed it and willing to risk their asses for it. They're the ones we should be heralding, not these like corporate goons that moved in from out of not even our country or state. Like a lot, there's like Canadian investors that have, have been buying up a ton of dispensaries and not to like hate on them. I don't, I don't know them personally, but you ain't from Colorado. Like it should be our local economy being bolstered. But I think like it was important to open up to outside investment because when it was Colorado only, it was a little bit stifled. Either way, I just like to rather vote with my dollar. Like I'll just still try to support the local dudes just like. I would hope people like come to the food truck or are those same like-minded folks. They're like, yeah, we could get ice cream anywhere, but this dude carries like the highest quality ice cream in Pueblo. Um, <clears throat> and I, I like, I don't want to allegedly, allegedly the highest quality. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get sued or anything, but like the, the ice cream we purchase is from Colorado vendors. <clears throat> but what makes ice cream price different is the amount of air that's essentially folded into the ice cream in the ice cream making process. So it's called overrun. It's an industry term for ice cream. But the more overrun an ice cream has means the more air that's pumped into it. So let's look at like an ice cream that you would buy at the grocery store that's like one gallon plastic tub store brand. It's like five bucks. You know what I mean? Which a scoop of my ice cream I charge five dollars for. But we do give a six ounce scoop which is like a scoop and a half at a regular ice cream shop. And uh, the the amount of like cream that you start with and the amount of air that gets put into it is essentially what determines the value of the ice cream. So like if you weighed your ice cream tubs is kind of the best way to determine the difference in quality. Like if you took the cheap stuff, a pint of it, and you weighed it right next to a pint of Ben & Jerry's, which I consider to be pretty high 
premium, high-fat content, low-overrun ice cream that's available at grocery stores. I love Ben & Jerry's, As bro. well as Sweet Action, our vendor. They're amazing local out of Denver. Um, we, we use a couple vendors, but that's one of them. Like, just high over, like low-overrun, sorry, high-milk-fat content is what you're looking for in premium ice cream, or some people call it ultra-premium ice cream. Um, but, like, the stuff yeah. I buy, like, wholesale cost is, you know... Like that cheap stuff you buy at the grocery store, it's at least like five times as expensive as that for the same gallon of ice cream. So like you got to consider that when purchasing ice cream if you're really getting nerding out on it like I do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all ice cream is beautiful. There is no ice cream shame going on here. (laughs) But you got to realize why the prices are different and and be willing to pay more if you want that good stuff. Definitely. So, um... You know, having a small business in Pueblo, what would you say some, sorry, what would you say some of your biggest, like, I guess what was one of your, to start off high, what was one of your biggest successes in Pueblo so far? You've had this, you've had this truck for three years, Uh this November. I think honestly, it was just kind of when I realized like this has become like a Pueblo thing. And like, I don't, I don't really try not to have an ego and like, I don't. But just a friend told me, like, yo, like, it's dope that you're, like, a part of Pueblo culture now. And, like, that just kind of was, like, a big moment for me. I was like, yeah, that's dope. I am. Like, I'm from here. And people, like, are, like, into what I produce and come to the truck. And it's become, like, a little local tradition, for at least for our regulars, you know. And it's just kind of, like, a fun thing. And if there's one thing I could, like, I don't want to say anything negative about Pueblo because I love this place. It's my home. But, like, there's not a lot of shit to do down here. Compared to a bigger city like living in Denver, every night you could go see amazing live music. You could go to an art show. You mm-hmm. could, you know, there's a hundred different things you could do every night. Pueblo were a little limited, and especially last year during COVID, there really was not anything to do. And food trucks were set up to like serve people during that time. Like we we actually got lucky as food truck owners, which is fucked up to say, but like we we serve outside. We were already like meeting COVID regulations, the only thing that changed was we started wearing masks. Um, we're already super clean. Chefs, like, you've got, like, I washed my hands before I rolled this joint. Like, you got to keep clean hands if you work in a kitchen. Like, that's part of it. So we already did that. We already glove change and wash hands in between glove changes. So, like, the only new thing was wearing masks and social distancing. So, you know, obviously in, in a small truck like that, we don't want to have, like, people working right next to each other without masks on. So that was, like, not too hard to do. Everyone was pretty, like, okay with that that works for me and and was, like, wanting to wear masks when it was required. And we still do, honestly. Like, I've noticed a lot of places in Pueblo, people don't wear masks anymore. The employees, they don't really enforce any of that. So it's like, I don't know, I just still want to do it just because we're working with food and it's such a, a sensitive thing already. Um, with food safety as far as like the temperatures you keep certain foods at your your preparatory surfaces like everything's already kind of like pretty well regulated so it wasn't a hard transition for food service people to just be like okay a couple new rules here we go Mm -hmm. (coughs) yeah so kind of lack of um like they go to your food truck and then what you know like they go to like kind of lack of events yeah exactly and at the time like so, you know, when COVID was really going, there was no public events. 
but people could come to a parking lot and and safely social distance and enjoy something together, mm-hmm. which I thought was really like a beautiful thing to actually get to see like our community still coming out and doing shit safely when like everything was was so hard to do. But it was it was cool to be a part of and uh so yeah, like I, I don't know, that was definitely like interesting and luckily COVID for us wasn't like a super big challenge. But like when we became like the event, it was like the thing to do. That was like a, a big moment for me too. It was like, wow, awesome. Like we're a part of this community. And that to me is more than anything. And like also just being able to to have employees and like help other people from Pueblo make extra money. Like we're not like a full-time job, but we got a seasonal position. People can make a few extra bucks, which everybody needed. Um, so that was a cool part too. Like just hiring on the first person, you know what I mean? That was a big moment. Cause I like to like, that's what community is. And that's what collaboration is. Like you take like influence from everyone around you. So that was cool when Puff Puff at Pass like really felt like, yo, this is like a company now. Like I have an employee. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Um, <clears throat> I would definitely say you're a Pueblo staple. Anyone, if you're going on a first date in Pueblo, you're going to fucking, you're definitely going to get a fucking little right. ice cream there, bro. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, we're kind of getting into that slow time of year right now where it's, it's few and far between before there's warm days. So we're kind of going to be limited and I'm actually kind of considering hitting the road and doing like a little vacation with the truck. Like not necessarily vacation, but take it down to a warmer climate like mm-hmm. Long Beach or maybe like Miami, Florida, even like Arizona or like Las Vegas, something like that. Just going on a little adventure with it and taking it somewhere in, in uh, December and January. I'm not 100% on that, but definitely something I'm thinking about. Yeah, that's a gr- oh, oh, I just dropped a whole cherry. <laughs> that's a great idea, man. It'd be fun to document too. People could see our journey as we... It's probably just going to be me, but I always say we because Puff Puff Hat passes a company now, so it's like i got to use the royal we, right? <laughs> Big Lebowski reference there. I don't know if you've seen that. I have. Hell yeah. <laughs> Classic. Love that movie. So, um, you know, um, aside from taking it on the road, what other what other big dreams do you have for, for your business? Well, uh, like I would really love to... So I was actually a part of a pitch contest here in Pueblo a couple years ago, um, and it was a local food summit, and they did like an entrepreneur pitch contest, and my idea was to open my own ice cream production company called Fire Ice Cream, and that's still like kind of on the horizon hopefully for me. I'm just kind of trying to hustle up to it, but uh, I'd like to create ice cream that is the ultra premium like I talked about, high milk fat content, low overrun create it but pueblo centric flavors so like throw in my love of foraging local ingredients like the the prickly pear cactus and like the the fruit on the prickly pear cactus the pads on the prickly pear cactus like pinon nuts um green chilies like i want to really like obviously accent with other flavors but feature pueblo centric flavors in an ice cream brand that could be sold throughout colorado and not only that, like also supply my food truck with my own homemade ice cream rather than having to purchase all wholesale ice cream. Mm-hmm. Fire ice cream. 
That's a fire name, actually. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. What's funny is one of the people, the panelist as part of that pitch contest, that was like his one. He's like, hmm, fire ice cream. I don't know about that name. I, and I was like, bro, I was like, obviously you don't know the younger culture because that is a fire name, bro. Like, yeah, it's you're... fire. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's like an oxymoron. It's like. Right. And yeah, fire. exactly. Like ice cream and fire, fire and ice. Like, <coughs> plus like. I like fire shit. Oh, yeah. Fire ice cream. Like the fire weed at Rocky Mountain Blaze. Hey, thanks for that. Shameless plug. Shout out, James. Hey. And, and the whole crew at Rocky Mountain Blaze. Fuck yeah. What so, up, Tony? <laughs> so you pretty, you know them? I do, yeah. Like I said, I've been part of the weed industry for a little bit in Pueblo, so I made friends, and good people are easy to make friends with, so. Yeah, they're awesome. They're men. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have fire weed, so it's easy to have a good relationship there. For sure. Yeah, go buy some of this fire. What do you think of it so the, far? The first Christmas few? is fire. Like it, I mean, it's obviously a high yielding bud. Like that thing was huge. Mm-hmm. So you got like a nice, nice weed to roll up for sure. I didn't even use a grinder on that. Yes. You wanna... um, yeah. My up. crutch is kind of loose. I don't know how you made it. You're so tight. Oh. <coughs> So like I said, we had to roll up <laughs> sticks and stems back in the day. And uh, I remember that, like, going to house parties when I was, like, 16. And uh, me and the homies would do joint rolling contests. So everybody would roll up, and whoever's, like, looked the best plus smoked the best, like, that was the beginning of my competitive weed smoking. <laughs> Bongathon is the crescendo. This is a beautiful joint right here. Thanks, man. Yeah, mine's kind of loose. Hey, if it smokes, bro, that's what matters. <coughs> I actually won another joint rolling competition at an event called a Super Bud Bowl. I want to say it was like 2017, but it was a speed contest. So you had to break up, roll up as quick as you could. I want to say it was a like a gram joint, so just like a regular small zigzag joint. Mm-hmm. No, no uh, filter or nothing in it. And it had to smoke all the way down to the roach. You had so, to smoke it yourself? No, like the judges smoked it. So uh, I rolled up the quickest. I did get to hit it, though. I still smoked it. Um, I rolled up the quickest, and then it smoked all the way to the end. And, like, by the time mine was done smoking, some people hadn't finished yet. Holy shit. Like, I don't, I've been rolling joints forever. And my dad always tells this story about my grandpa. Like, he would drive a stick shift while smoking a cigarette and roll a cigarette with one hand. So he'd be rolling with one hand and shift and smoke his cigarette roll that baby up and boom have another cigarette by the time his other one was done like your grandfather did I that i feel like it comes in my blood like they didn't smoke weed but fuck bro <laughs> they no. were rolling up cigs yeah they were also going like like 40 miles per hour though with no seat belts yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy all right so so becoming a public staple is one of the highest points so far in your in your food truck's career for what, sure. what about one of the lowest points so far what do you think oh i mean shoot you know i'm human so i get like owning a business is hella stressful like uh, i mentioned like i've had anxiety when i worked in the finance industry like that shit never goes away like i feel like people don't talk about enough like anxiety and depression are a fucking bitch and pretty much everybody's got it everybody's got trauma of some sort that's why there's so many addicts out in the world like Trauma is the gateway drug, not weed or alcohol or nothing else like that. Like, everybody got something a little fucked up to happen to them in their past. 
that fucked him up. Like, no matter how small or big that is, it's significant to that person's perspective individually. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes I struggle with that. Like, business isn't doing so hot. Getting towards the end of the season, we had, like, a couple really shitty weeks because of the fair and because of uh, Chili Fest, and I wasn't able to afford those entrance fees. And you just reach low points like that where, like, the finances and the stress of it gets you. And not only that, like I said, I love, like, being able to employ people and having to be like, yo, guys, business ain't doing so good. Like, I got to cut hours back. Like, even though this ain't their full-time job and people know that coming in, like, it's it's hard to do a full-time thing except right in the middle of the summer. Uh, then I can offer more hours because we're way busier in the summer than the winter times. But, like, crazy is this last weekend we did a trunk or treat event sponsored by uh, – Renewed Wholesale used their space on Main and Abriendo. Awesome, like, used furniture store. They have really good eye and really good quality stuff in there. And the Sacred Bean Coffee organized a food truck trunk or treat event. And there was, like, a 1,000 people there, I feel like. Holy shit. That came through. It was crazy. I Like, I don't think any of us expected it to be that big. And it was amazing to see, like, Pueblo come out and support all of us. Because towards the end of the season for food trucks, like, we really needed that. And that boosted me up. You know what I mean? Like, just a couple weeks ago, I was super sad. Like, hey, fuck. I don't know. Like, I'm, that's when I started thinking, like, maybe I'm going to take this on the road for the the winter. Because the winter is a real struggle here. Like, people that are ice cream diehards like me, we love ice cream in the winter. And I feel like a lot of people do. But it's just looking at my numbers over the last few years, it's like, nah. There's definitely less people buying ice cream in the winter, especially from food trucks. Like, if you have an indoor spot, people could come in sit somewhere warm and eat ice cream. But if you're standing in line in the cold to order ice cream, then go and eat it in your car and warm up, like, it's just not quite as easy in the winter as it is in the summer where you could just chill outside and eat the ice cream and enjoy the beautiful day. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, like, the lowest is just when you get in your head, like, is this worth doing it? I ain't making hardly any profit right now. Things are hard. Like, as an entrepreneur, that's going to be a big part of it. Like, I'm only in year three. They say you shouldn't be, like, satisfied, like, or wait, they say you probably won't make profit within the first year, five years. <laughs> this joint's kicking in, y'all, <laughs> having trouble putting sentences together. So, yeah, they say you won't profit with a small business in the first five years. So, I mean, by that standard, like, even a little bit of profit I eke out, I try to look at that as, like, yo, I'm still making it. I bootstrapped this shit up, like, I was trying to, I don't know if I finished that story earlier, Bought that trailer for a few grand, I want to say like four or five grand, and built it all out myself rather than getting a giant loan and having to owe hundreds of thousands of dollars to start my business. I started it pretty much from nothing, a couple saved paychecks and a truck and a couple freezers, you know, and a waffle iron. And then I like working in business, uh, restaurant business and cannabis business, I learned to build relationships with vendors. Um, as a purchaser for Whole Foods, as a dispensary manager, I learned, like, yo, if you build the right relationship with your vendor, that's, like, another way to help you out. A lot of vendors will give you 14 to 30 days to pay your first invoice. Yeah, that's a small business loan right there. You you buy your first inventory almost on credit, and you pay it a month later, which a lot of people don't understand that, like, you can start something from almost nothing if you just if you could work it right. And and so I got a couple companies like willing to like, yeah, sure, we'll give you two weeks to pay. And that that's it. Then you just start hustling from that point. 
and saving everything you can, putting what you got back into the business until you built something bigger and bigger. And so, you know, hopefully that eventually works for me. Right now I'm still in that, that hustle phase, so we'll see where it goes from here. Wow, man. Yeah, that's – yeah, going deeper into that. So um, I guess the drive, the drive to <clears throat> to ask for that loan, go deeper into that. What was that like, that um, mentality? So, yeah, luckily I still haven't had to take a loan, but that pitch I did to the Small Business Association – Saying like, and also the pitch I did for fire ice cream, I was asking for a quarter mil to start that and giving a percentage of the eventual profits, you know what I mean? Like giving a percent of the company to that investor. Um, I think I was shooting a little too high. I could probably do it with less. And so that's my next goal is to just hustle up to that less figure that I've got worked out in my head, um, get a lease on a brick and mortar get the ice cream machines I need, which are, you know, the price of a brand new car. Like the, the ice cream you need, machine you want to like produce enough to make it worthwhile is, is not cheap. So I may end up taking loans, but I really don't want to. So that's just kind of my mentality is I'm, I'm trying to build this from the ground up. I don't want to involve like banks and corporate America in my business. Cause that was the whole point of starting my own business was like, you know, I'm sick of working for these companies. I'm sick of like, earning money for the same people while I struggle my ass off to just pay rent. And so that was like my whole idea behind moving back to Pueblo and starting Puff Puff at Passes. I could do it for a lot less. And had I had the concept to just do ice cream and waffles in Denver, I wouldn't wouldn't have needed all that money. But I'm glad that I came to Pueblo because I love this place. Um, my folks are in their early 70s, so... Every moment you got with your family is like a precious gem, you know what I mean? You don't want to waste that. Like, like I have, you know, friends that have lost their folks and like I, I've seen that pain that they go through. And so I just want I know I'm going to have that pain, but I don't want to regret any day that I had with my folks. So that was a big driving factor for me to move back and do my business in Pueblo. So like I could be with my family. I could be a part of the community that raised me up. And hopefully make it a little bit more fun, if anything, like, you know, something to go do. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say I'm changing the world, but I'm just happy to be a part of something positive in my hometown. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You got any uh, brothers and sisters? I have an older brother, yeah, for sure. He's like 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Military guy. Um, very different ideology than me, but, like, that was a big moment for me, too, was just to see my bro, like, proud of me. You know what I mean? Like, came down and... And his nephew worked for me. That was also awesome, getting to be my nephew's first job. His son, sorry, my nephew. Um, those were other, like, big moments for me where I was like, dude, this is dope. I'm glad I did this. Like, I just gave my nephew his first job and, like, taught him a little bit about, like, the world. Um, and I wouldn't have had that chance had I not taken the chance on myself to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and just kept working for other companies and making other people money. You know, even if you're not making a ton of money and you're getting by, you're paying your mortgage, you got groceries in the fridge, like really, and you got people around you that love you, you got weed to roll up, what more do you really need in life? You know what I mean? So that's cool to to be able to just say, like, I'm doing this shit on my own now. Um, but it's a scary moment for sure when you, like, they say if something scares you, you should probably just do it, just jump into that shit. So I, I just keep going. Yeah, that's a great mentality, man. I feel like most people get caught up in their mundane day-to-day life. They don't even think 
outside. I, de- I definitely did for sure for mm-hmm. a long time. You know, I'm 41 now. I'm just finally figuring that shit out. Um, yeah, exactly, man. You just get stuck in it. And, like, it's easy to do the way our society's set up and the way, like, rent prices keep getting more, food prices, everything just goes up except your wages. So shit's got to break at some point. Like, it's difficult out there, especially in a big city like Denver, where it's becoming, like, really gentrified and everybody gets pushed out to where, okay, now you got to get a commute 30 miles to get to your job. Like, and if you don't have a car and you got to rely on public transport, like, that's like four to six hours of your day. You're just sitting in buses. You know what I mean? Like potentially. So if it's a busy time, like you're working nine to five. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. Like it's dope to get out there and do something for yourself. And I'm lucky in that way. Like I'm lucky in a lot of ways. My parents are still together. They were great parents. Like a lot of people don't get dealt that like nice hand of cards like that. And you, you know, it's it's hard to just jump and do something on your own if you don't have a support system. So, like, I got really lucky there. Just mm-hmm. always knowing, like, you know, no matter what, like, my family got my back. And I got a couple close friends. Like, a friend of mine here is an amazing artist in Pueblo, uh, Clint Elliott. And uh, he's just, like, one of my best friends. Where He's my roomie now. And uh, he's, a, he's an amazing, like, oil painting artist as well as illustrator. And... Uh, just having people like him great friends your family to back you up if shit goes wrong that's like part of the reason i was able to do what i did and start my own business and and try to like do this shit from the ground up definitely yeah i don't think there's really not like a meaning to life bro if you don't have friends and family for sure to just just hang out with bounce ideas off of you know be yourself around right yeah (coughs) yeah that's awesome man i love that it's a great mentality to have. And you said you have two dogs. I do, yeah. <laughs> I got a Staffordshire Terrier, a big, big, uh, tall kind of pit bull. He's like, he's lanky for a Staffordshire. His name's Otis. And then I got a half border collie, half blue healer who just loves to play ball. Her name's Allie. Um, that's like her whole life. Like ball is cracked to her. <laughs> I love that, man. <laughs> are they Are they cool with cats? Unfortunately not. They both have that dog mentality. Like, Damn. Then they're ops, bro. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're the kind of dogs that, like, the most innocent thing walks by, like, a little kitten, and they're like, rawr, 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 rawr. Like, like, a big scary person comes over, and they just want to lick them. You know what I mean? They love people. Yeah. But they don't like other animals. Like, not so much the Border Collie Blue Healer. She's pretty tolerant, but the, the Staffordshire's just kind of always been animal aggressive. He had been through some trauma like i i traveled to korea when i was in school to south korea and studied um supply chain management in central like korea um at changnam national university through, through csu pueblo say central korea yeah like in the middle of south korea basically. okay okay yeah. but from csu pueblo yeah exactly but that was the school we partnered with and where we studied and we got to go to seoul and stuff um <laughs> where the hell was i going with this you were going with um <laughs> so high right now that um honestly i don't know but talk about going to seoul yeah South sure. Korea. yeah that was dope it was an amazing experience um there was a, a professor at csup dr Ju, and uh he was south korean um and so he would lead a group to south korea in the summertime so it was like a shortened condensed class that we got credit for it was dope it was like i want to say three weeks long maybe two weeks. It was really short. 
But we went to South Korea. We studied at uh, CNU every day. And then on the weekend, we got to travel up to Seoul and kind of just like hang out, stay in hostels, go see different things in Seoul. We also traveled down to the southern tip and saw the uh, Hyundai factory and went to the uh, Samsung Museum of Innovation, which was like, I don't know, that whole city is like owned by Samsung and Hyundai, essentially like it's like a corporate park, but huge. So they have all these really beautiful buildings. And then we went, we got bussed into this museum and shown like all the stuff that Samsung has come up with, which they were a little, uh, they were a little upset because we're American students. We kept mentioning Apple. And at the time, they're in a lawsuit with Apple. Apple was saying they stole patented, inf- you know, property and, and mimicked it. But, like, you know, what is industry if it's not, like, mimicking and, like, making your own version? And, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's hardly any original ideas anymore. But I, I can't remember what happened with that suit. But they were super pissed that we brought that up. I remember that. And we also went all the way up north to the demilitarized zone. Um, so you're literally at, like a wall with chain link fence and you can look over at the Korean soldiers doing their like border patrol check and whatnot. <clears throat> that was kind of a, a trippy thing to see like, you know, this country's still at war. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. Like that war was a long time ago and there's still like constant threat of like something popping off. Like even though North Korea is not like super powerful, they try to show what they got all the time. And that was like a trip being somewhere that's like, Oh damn, like, you see this in the news, like, they do make you feel, like, super scared. But no one in South Korea is scared of shit. They're like, what? They're like, really? Whatever, that's nothing. They're like, he tries to blow up, like, an island where no one lives all the time. I was like, what, really? You guys aren't, like, scared about that at all? They're like, nah, if anything happens, like, we got it, and America will come in and help us, which is probably the situation, you know? The way they got the media gets everyone all lathered up about that. But North Korea does seem like a pretty fucked up place. Like, I listened to that podcast uh, with Joe Rogan yep. and the uh, the person who escaped North Korea, and that was like a really harrowing story. If that person's like telling a true story, which I believe them, they seem genuine to me. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's some messed up stuff that's going on up there. So like, I get it. I wouldn't want to live there for sure. That's nuts. She said that the kids would eat rats. Yeah, like, that's, you know, people always talk shit about Korea, like, oh, they eat dogs and shit. Well, okay, well, if you lived in a country that got completely bombed out, there ain't, like, a bush or a tree left on that that whole peninsula. What else are you going to eat, yo? Like, you you going to just die? Like, I'll eat anything if I didn't have any food. But I love my dogs. I couldn't eat dog. Like, I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, but you were, yeah, you were saying that you, you didn't eat dog when you went in there. North Korea. That's probably a delicacy. If you get a rat, you're probably lucky. You know what I mean? Like nothing is yours. So even if you grow a garden, you can't keep that food that belongs to the state. Yeah, they distribute it. It's like, damn, that's a trip. I would not want to live in a society like that. Yeah. It's such a good point, man. Yeah. Um, but some people, I guess, I guess some people dream of that, but not really that that far. Some right. people dream of just... <clears throat> like if it didn't have a crazy dictator at the top of it, but what story throughout history doesn't have a crazy dictator at the top of it? Like, there is no utopian society. We just have to kind of figure out how to commingle with each other mm-hmm. and, like, do the least amount of harm. I don't know how you do that. I'm not a politician. I'm not a, a general or nothing, but, <laughs> Yeah. It just seems like a trip to me if you think about, like, politics as the whole world. Like, just 
we're having our local election today. It's like election day tomorrow, I want to say, in Pueblo. Okay, so there's 100,000 people voting. But, like, how many people around the world, on, on the earth? I don't know. Google that. <laughs> there's a lot of people. So how the hell do you manage all that? Like, all that's happening. I don't know. It's just a trip to think about. Oh, yeah. And there's so many people unaccounted for, you know. There's people that we don't even have ta- tally marks on. Oh, should we trade, I guess, bro? I've been yeah, sure, smoking this one down. <laughs> what was yours called again? Bruce Banner. Oh, Bruce Banner. Yeah. Nice. That's good stuff. Yeah, classic. And then we still that have kind this... of Blue Dream era generation of Bud. Bruce Banner, Blue Dream, Oop, Golden Goat. What about these grape gushers? Some gushes. Mm, that looks beautiful. Good trichome production. Good terps on it. So you uh, nice you, you grow cannabis? Are you comfortable talking about it or no? Yeah, I mean, it's legal in Colorado to grow a little weed, right? You can have up to six plants at your house, so I don't nothing crazy, but I keep within my six-plant limit and bud, a, bud one or two at a time, so you always got a little bit of weed. Mm-hmm. Um, I do pretty rudimentary shit, like, right now. Uh, just like a little grow tent and some LEDs, you know, it's nothing crazy. But yeah, I love to grow weed. I was in the weed industry, so I kind of just wanted to, like, especially when COVID hit, the whole self-sufficiency thing became, like, really important to me. I've always been a big gardener. Um, I like to, like, cook and can food. Like, I've kind of, I like to, I haven't really hunted much. Um, I have the gear to, like, do an elk hunt, but I just haven't found the right situation or spot to do it yet. Um, and just also, I just haven't been motivated to do it. I've been focusing on my business. and But I'd, lo- I'd love to go, like, produce my own food. Like, I like to forage, so I'm taking that thought all the way out. I love meat. Factory farming is pretty jacked up, so, like, I, I would like to produ- produce my own meat. Um, if not, like, maybe raise some animals at some point, have a little bit of land and raise oh, yeah. my own food. That's a dream. But, like, yeah, I mean, dogs. just just the thought of, like, dogs. okay, what happens if they close down the grocery stores? Like, that's a scary fucking thought, right? What does happen? Definitely. We don't know. Our whole lives, there's been fucking shopping malls and grocery stores, and our grocery stores are, like, the size of a cathedral in, like, a third-world country. Like, food is God here. Like, we get as much as we want, and it's all full of fat and sugar. And Yeah, that's what I sell, but everything in moderation, you know what I mean? Like, we might as well enjoy, like, a a dessert every once in a while. Just, you can't eat that shit every day, and we're not open every day, luckily, right now, but... You know, that's kind of my thought. And definitely when I'm able to produce my own ice cream, I'd love to start exploring avenues of, like, safer, healthier ice cream, like stuff without sugar, um, stuff that vegans and keto and everybody could enjoy. I'm not just going to make traditional ice cream, but I will because that's what I love. But I want to, like, expand that thought, too. Maybe hemp milk ice cream would be something really cool, too. That'd be awesome. I think that'd be a really popular thing, especially in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. You know. But um, you were telling me that um, you want to have a, a storefront one day. Yeah, so I'd love to have like a Puff Puff at Pass scoop shop fueled by Fire Ice Cream, the production company producing the ice cream to sell. Yeah. So that's definitely the next step in my puzzle. Um, just for finding the right lease and the, and the right equipment and getting that going. Mm-hmm. And you <coughs> keep it in Pueblo. Just yeah, absolutely. Die, die hard Pueblo. That's really what my dream is for Fire Ice Cream and that I kind of said in my pitch is like, I want to make Pueblo's first ice cream ban- brand that not only like features Pueblo 
produced ingredients that we grow like amazing produce here as well as like palisade peaches you know like colorado in general produces some amazing food and i just want to like showcase that in an ice cream and also like eventually employ people of pueblo if it actually took off as like a brand you could buy at national grocers then imagine how many like people we could give stable jobs to in pueblo that would be dope so right now i'm just a dude in a trailer like hustling it up but that's the dream for sure is to like that's what i would consider being like a successful entrepreneur all the other stuff has been really cool like giving my nephew a job, like becoming a part of the community, making my family proud. That was all really dope. But I feel like that would be the next step is like create a, a company that's that's usual, utilizing like ethical practices and local ingredients and employing people. And not only like people, but people that aren't typically given a chance. Like I have no problem with hiring people that have a felony. Like I feel like everybody deserves a second chance. And growing up in Pueblo, like if you don't know somebody who has a felony that you love and you know is a good person, I don't know what neighborhood you grow up in, but not mine, <laughs> for sure. For sure, bro. That's facts. You know what I mean? Like, family's family, and if and people need a job, then they should be able to get it. So that's that's where I'm at. Um, I want to, like, empower Pueblo as well as, like, in, in, empower myself and make make this into something bigger eventually. Yeah, that's that's very commendable, man. That's noble. Going out. I know, it's because <laughs> we have really good topics, bro. I got two microphones, Joe. Uh, <laughs> right, I have a I have a real question. How often do people mispronounce your name? My name or the company's name? The company's name. Pretty much every fucking time. No, no, like our regulars know exactly because they come and they like they they hear me say it. They like. I used to do videos a lot. Like I'd be like, "Yo, we're down at the Chamber of Commerce. What up, everybody? Hey." Come on down. We got this is a special today. Um, Say it one time for the people. Puff Puffet Pass. Puffet. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you the breakdown off that on that if you want. Yeah. So like, uh, the the waffle I use they call a puffle like on the west coast, and it's also real big in France and Australia. Um, I want to say they call it an aguette in France can't remember if they call it a puffle or an egghead or what in, in Australia. It's pretty much everywhere now, but it originated in Hong Kong. That's the origin of it. Oh, really? It's called gaidanjai there, Good. which means little chicken egg. Gaidanjai. I probably pronounced that all fucked up, but gaidanjai. Gaidanjai. G-A-I-D-A-A-N-J-A-I. Gaidanjai. Gaidanjai. I think that's <laughs> probably as close as I'm going to get. For sure. But uh, And it was a way to get rid of like the misshapen eggs. That people weren't gonna buy it in a basket of eggs. Like, yeah, let's crack them and make it into waffles and sell that on the street too. So that's like the real purest form of is it is just an egg waffle served too hot in a paper bag on the streets of Hong Kong, and then it kind of like spread spread its wings wow. somehow and became like an international thing to where people are making it everywhere. The first video I watched was like a street vendor in New York City. And then it really blew up in like LA Portland, which is where I've traveled the most to go try puffles at different places that also do like ice cream with puffles so i'm not i'm not 100 percent original here like i'm just bringing something new to pueblo um like i like i said i found it on instagram i kind of was like this is dope i want to do this and it's like beautiful you, you can make like art with ice cream and there's a ton of ways to do that not just puffle waffles like food is art in so many ways and puffle. like so, yeah, so I took that egget and puffle, and I smashed them together because we ain't in L.A., and we ain't in France. We're in Pueblo, so I got the puffet. 
Mine's like just the smash together. And it's also kind of the recipes that I found, like a little bit of a marriage of all the different styles uh, to make it like the most sweet and good with ice cream. Mm-hmm. I see you got the merch on too, bro. That's a sick ass design. Yeah, for sure. We got these available at the truck. Did you design those? 25 bones. No, this is a uh, a local artist, Matt Refik, actually. Creatures Crew uh, did this one. That was like right when this was still a concept to me. And, and uh, I hit up uh, Matt and he painted the truck for us. So that's all his original art on our truck. He's got it signed on the back. And then this was the logo he does, we commissioned from him. So we love the logo. We're going to keep rolling with that. I love street art. Um, <clears throat> so I want to keep that going. And I'm, I'm actually uh, going to do some hoodies, limited edition hoodies. So you could uh, pre-order those on social media if you follow us at Puff Puff at Pass seven one nine on pretty much any social media, and that's P U F F P U F F E T T E P A S S Puff at seven one nine seven one nine. Yeah, it's long and complicated, baby. <laughs> Love typing that email address out. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're gonna do a limited run of tie dye hoodies for fifty five. Um, they'll be like those like pastel kind of yellow, green, blue tie dye colors with this logo in the middle. And then we're going to do a black hoodie for 40 bucks. So as soon as we get 20 pre-orders of each of those, we're going to start that limited run on those merch for the winter time. Fuck yeah, man. And we got hats available, same logo. And then we got some slogan shirts that are single color for 15 bucks. Uh, one of them is buy puffets, not crack. Um, also not an original idea. It came from a shirt I saw in Portland that said "Buy art, not crack. So that, that hits different in Pueblo. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, you know, not that like crack is the worst thing in the world. Like I've, you know, I've, I'm one of those weirdos that thinks all drugs should be legal and like taxed and regulated. And then like people have a safe place to use them. And there's an opportunity for those people to meet with like counselors who help them get clean and find a job and a place to live like the system that's been working in Portugal for like over 10 years now and is reducing recidivism and addiction. Mm -hmm. Like, like I was trying to say earlier, like trauma is the gateway drug, right? Like, so if you help people with their like mental health and to deal and face that trauma, like that's what ends addiction. Not like any amount of hospital beds or whatever, like, the person has to want to stop and they have to be able to deal with that trauma. So like the more we can help people do that, then that's how you lessen addiction. <clears throat> just making shit illegal doesn't do anything. It just makes like cartels rich. We saw it with legal weed. Why shouldn't we do that with everything? <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, man, this weed's got my throat. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool, man. If, if you want something else to drink too, man, I got more water or whatever. But, um, no, I agree with your point. Um, you know, I think the only thing stopping it is just profit profit margins. Whereas, you know, and who's going to get behind it? Who's going right. to be the first person to be like, this is my cocaine. This is my illegal cocaine. <laughs> right. You it's know? a crazy moment, right? Yeah. When somebody's like, yeah, I just did some legal cocaine. Well, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is. Like, oh, yeah, I just went and shot up at a clinic, like, and they watched me. The closest That's... thing we're to is mushrooms, bro. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I love, I love psychedelics. I'm not really into the hard drugs. I like weed. I like psychedelics. I don't even really like alcohol anymore. I used to drink pretty heavily as an early 20s, you know, as a teen and early mid-20s. But eventually, just to me, it was like one of those bad drugs. Like, what's the benefit of this for me personally? I don't feel that good when I'm on it. 
it makes me feel like shit the next day and possibly multiple days after that if you overdo it. You could die like alcohol poisoning, boom, right there that night. You could smoke four pounds of weed, <laughs> and you'll fucking wake up and make some toast with jelly on it and drink a cup of coffee and be straight. But, like, you have one too many fucking drinks, and you're, like, done. You're right. It's fucked up. Same with hard drugs. One too many limes. One too many CCs. Not You slam it too fast. Whatever, whatever it is that you're doing that's dangerous for you, like... Weed ain't like that. So I love that about it. Psychedelics, you could definitely overdo, though. I feel like if you if they become like a daily routine, it kind of loses its potency and loses its meaning a little bit to me. But I love using them like as a way to like just open my mind. Like when I when I found psychedelics as a young person, like that was one of those things that was like, damn, I, I never thought of shit that way before. Like the next day, you know what I mean? Like it just kind of makes you a more like accepting person, at least for me, everyone's perspective and brains are different, but that's why I loved weed and and psychedelics. They just made me like a more open and receptive and loving person. And also like just showed me that we're kind of all the same person. Like if you see somebody else like that's struggling, that's an addict, that's in prison, that's they fucked up. They did something wrong. Like that's still you. Like we're all the same energy. That's just you that, grew up in a different house, maybe in a different city or neighborhood or even just the house next to you. And like their shit's totally different than yours, but you're still the same fucking energy. You came from those same ancestors, like that energy of the ancestors of like everywhere. You know what I mean? Like that's what something that like I've tried DMT before. Um, That was a pretty mind altering experience and like kind of changed my like thought processes going forward as far as like just being able to like self-evaluate and let go of like my ego a little bit and kind of just look at, Hey, what's best for like everybody around you and you and put a plan together and do it. Like, I don't want to say DMT did that for me, but it definitely like opened up my mind to start making different choices for myself. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was really cool. Like it was right before I went to college Mm -hmm. And, like, the experience I had, I kind of felt like I was talking to someone else, like another being, after I kind of really got into it. It's like a roller coaster, right? Like, at first you kind of feel like, what the fuck's going on? Oh, shit. And then, boom, you're just, like, out. And it was, like, a total of maybe five minutes, and I felt like I lived, like, a lifetime. It was nuts. And whoever I came to after, like, the crazy visuals I went through was just like, yo, dude, like, you're a good person, bro. Just keep, like keep doing what you're doing, man. It was like, it's kind of crusty, like stoner voice. Cause they knew I'd respond to that probably. Or like, if this is your self-conscious, that's, that's what I thought I would respond to best. So like, it was just like, keep doing what you're doing. Be a good person, man. Like make amends for the, the shit you've done in the past. Like, um, try to be the best person you can going forward and do what's right. Like, that's what they told you. Yeah. That's what they- yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly, but that was the message I kind of got after the experience. Wow. Like, from what I could remember of it. But it was, like, crazy visuals, like, that you can't really explain. Like, colors you've never seen. Like, a color that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? If you try to think of that. Like, think of a color you've never seen before. Exactly. That's impossible. Right. So, it's, like, it's hard to explain what the fuck's going on. And, like I said, like, you feel like you're talking to an entity. But it's, in in reality, most likely what it is, is your, your brain is just kind of creating scenarios 
and this particular pathway that goes through your your brain's chemistry, like, I don't know, just kind of, like, gives you similar messages. Because a lot of people get that similar thing. Like, it's, like, a very comforting, like, like almost like a mentor telling you what you need to do. And that's why I kind of feel like after that experience, like, we are all kind of one energy. Like, so every ancestor of every person that's ever lived kind of meshes together in a big like pond essentially like a ball of light and a new person's born they break off from that or like a person dies they go back into it so like we're kind of all a baby of the shared experiences of like every living person before us wow that's how we progress so much and we have fucking imax and we're podcasting like 124 hours like in a row you know i don't know what you're talking about right now maybe nobody does a podcast that long (laughs) maybe i need to do google it google it what's the longest podcast hmm there's like there's probably somebody trying to be on guinness book world records there's sleep casts when people people will just (coughs) cast their sleep on the pod yeah yeah i mean there's people filming themselves eat exactly like do dabs like i used to do when i worked in the weed industry like who wants to see that you're doing a dab congratulations I like when people take the fucking big ass dabs, bro. Like the twenty, For sure. twenty like gram slabs. Big bucket and they're... yeah. There's like three people torching it. Yeah, that's that's some fun shit. Like bongathons, not that like dangerously crazy, but smoking bongs fast. Like I was like, oh man, my throat was cash. Like more than these joints for sure. <laughs> Trying to smoke seven grams in like fucking nine minutes or whatever, but it's dope. It's like you know, mm-hmm. it was fun, man. Like. Good experience for sure. I'm glad I participated and I got to keep like the competition bong, which was dope. Oh yeah. All right. So, um, do you want to let the people know any upcoming things where you where you'll be or any yeah, absolutely. upcoming videos? Uh, when is this releasing? Like right away? Hopefully tomorrow. Okay. So uh, this weekend. So what's that? November the fifth. Yes. Sixth. Right around in there. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be Friday at Walter's Brewery from three to seven p.m. Saturday at Renewed Wholesale from 3 to 7 p.m. And Sunday at the Chamber of Commerce from 3 to 7 p.m. Um, and you can follow us on social media uh, at Puff Puff at Pass 719. And we always post up our schedule. You can also just Google that. Google Puff Puff at Pass. Look at our photos. You can see our schedule. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Thank you for having me, bro. For sure, bro. I fucking love having you on. Getting high. Hell yeah. We'll freaking smoke another one. We'll chill and talk about it. All right, right on, man. Hell yeah. All right, guys, this has been Street Champs. Thanks for tuning Much in. Much love, Pueblo. Yes, like, comment, subscribe. Pueblo proud. Do that. Like 719. Sub. Peace.